Father, help us live that out. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. As I was thinking about what to share for Mother's Day, there's different things that we've done in the past. Um, and, uh, and, and I was thinking about um, kids with the, with the baby dedication. We have a, a, two more couples in the second service that want to dedicate their children. And I was thinking about kids and parenting and especially. So this, this message is not uh, uh, specifically about moms. It's more in that, that, that area of parenting. And I started thinking about uh, uh, the New Testament and commands for parents. And, and I, I was astounded. I was, I was reading um, Elise Fitzpatrick's excellent book uh, called Give Them Grace this week. And she points out in, the, in there that in the New Testament, and I, I don't think I ever knew this, that there are only two passages that give commands to parents. Did you know that? In the New Testament, there are only two commands given directly and explicitly to parents. And I thought, why in the world is that? I mean, if you've had children, you know how much of your life, at least for those years, they're under their roof. But let's be honest, beyond that, how, how much they, they occupy your, uh, your thoughts, your frustrations, your joy, so much of your time, your, your money. It, it, it is surrounded, it, it's centered in so often you, your children. Your, your life becomes, I mean, wound up obviously, with what they do and what they believe and, and what they're involved in and how they're, they're acting, whether or not they're sleeping, whether or not they're obeying. Why does the New Testament only give two commands? The only two commands I could find in the New Testament, ironically, they're both to dads. I don't know there's probably something that we could say about that. Maybe they're the ones who need it the most. But um, Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And then in Ephesians 6.4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And Elise Fitzpatrick points out in her book, she said, I think that that, that last phrase of Ephesians 6.4 is the reason that there are not more direct commands for parents. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Those four words, she, she says, really point us away from uh, the, all of the, the parenting self-help that's out there and point us to our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I think that there are probably not more direct commands given on such an important issue is that God wants our eyes on Jesus first and foremost in our home. When we do that, the rest in so many ways, begins to fall in place. It doesn't mean we don't have, have questions. It doesn't mean we don't seek wisdom in, in, other, in other places or from others who have gone before us. But as I, as I was thinking about the life and the example of our Lord Jesus Christ and how, that, how, how his life and character applies to parenting, to being the kind of fathers and mothers that God has called us to be, I, I turned to John chapter 1. And I, I just was, um, I was drawn to this passage this week, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. I don't, it's been a long time since I've, I've preached on this passage, and I don't think it's ever hit me as powerfully as it hit me this week. This whole, chap, this whole chapter, chapter 1, is introducing to us the Word. Verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We find out that that's Jesus, 
the pre-existent word, the logos. When you jump ahead to verse 14, it says the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. A great Christmas passage. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 goes on to say, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. As we think about this passage, I really am just going to focus in on verse 14 and really that last phrase, Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is brimming, overflowing with grace and with truth. Jesus, of course, balanced both of these in his life. We sometimes struggle to balance grace and truth in our lives, don't we? Sometimes we feel like if we're too gracious, we're letting our kids get, get away with murder, as it were. If we're on the side of truth, sometimes it's all rules and all regulations. It can be difficult to balance the truth. Of course, our Savior balanced them perfectly. He never excused sin. Randy Alcorn tells uh, a story of just how difficult it is to balance grace and truth. His church, uh, many years ago when he was, was pastoring there, um, they, they were very involved in the local pro-life movement. They were, their church was known for being committed to the cause of protecting the lives of unborn. Well, a group of three, three different groups of, of, of pro-choice groups got together and decided one Sunday they would come to Randy's church and picket and protest outside of his church because of all the work that, that Randy had done and, and their church had done for unborn babies. Well, Randy and his church heard about this ahead of time. They knew these groups were coming. So they decided that they were going to make donuts and coffee and set them out in tables and feed uh, the protesters. And so they sat out there and they began to have conversations with some of these protesters who, who went from screaming profanity to having conversations with Randy and some of his church members. And, and they had the opportunity to speak truth into the lives of some of these uh, just very, very anti-God people. Well, there were a number of conservative churches in the area that got wind and found out that Randy's church fed, gave donuts and coffee to these protesters. So the following week, there were some, some far-right, ultra-conservative pastors out front protesting that Randy's church was making compromises and weren't willing to stand for the truth. One week he was being protested because they were not gracious enough. The next week they were being protested because they didn't stand for the truth enough. You can see how difficult it is to walk this line. But as Christians, we are called 
to look upon Jesus. I don't believe I put it up there on the screen, but Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And he says, let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As we run this race, parenting, marriage, church involvement, life involved in the world, wherever, whatever realm, as we run this race, we're called to look upon Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on him. And as we behold one who is full of grace and full of truth, our lives should measure up. I want to just spend a couple of moments talking about, first of all, Jesus being full of grace. Jesus is full of grace. This word full means uh, lacking in nothing. You're completely equipped. There is nothing missing when it comes to the grace of Jesus. It says he is full of grace and truth. And notice verse 16 says, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We've received this fullness from him. He's not just up there uh, dangling it in front of us, but he's He's given us channels through his Holy Spirit to receive his grace, to receive his truth. Jesus is completely and always gracious. I'm going to tell you right now that true grace, genuine grace, undeserved favor, when somebody deserves punishment and instead they're given mercy and kindness and goodness, true grace will look ridiculous. True grace will be scoffed at. Think again of our Lord Jesus. How often was he accused of making compromises with sinners, sitting down at meals with those who were considered the worst of the worst? And people said, oh, he's compromising. He's moving his moral boundaries. Jesus was full of grace. I've said this before, but one of my favorite phrases in the, the Gospels is when we read that Jesus was, was moved with compassion. Or he looked upon them with compassion. Jesus saw people in desperate need of the love of God. You know, parents... We interact with our kids on a regular basis. Those of you whose kids still live at home, obviously it's a day in and day out scenario. Our kids need to see Jesus, the one moved with compassion. They need to see that the Lord Jesus doesn't come down on everybody all the time with sharp words. Think about it. When did Jesus speak sharply with people? It was with people who were hard-hearted, who were, who were religious and not willing to listen. For those who were hurting, for those who were struggling, Jesus had words of gentleness. As parents, we need to cry out to God for wisdom on, on how we interact with our kids. There are those times when we, we need, we recognize that they realize they've, they've messed up. They realize they've blown it. 
In that moment, they don't need a, sh- a shouting uh, and a, a verbal lashing from dad. They don't need a lecture. Jesus didn't lecture and shout at those who were broken, who were hurting, who realized that they had messed up. He showed them grace. Jesus was full of grace. There is is not a decision to be made between whether I'm going to be truth or grace. Jesus was all grace, all truth at the same time. We're never going to walk that fine line as perfectly as Jesus did, not here on earth anyway. But we pray to God and look to him for wisdom on how to do so. Parenting reveals just how desperately we need God's grace. It reveals just how desperately our kids need God's grace. I hate preaching sermons like this because I'm reminded of just how far I fall short. By the way, none of you can ask Asked my kids this morning how well I do at this. By the way, you know that uh, pastors don't have it all figured out, right? I remember as a kid, I, I, I just shared this with somebody in the last week or so. I remember as a kid, and I genuinely thought this, that when I would hear my pastor preach on Sunday, he was preaching it because he did it perfectly, whatever that sermon was that day, whatever that topic that he was preaching on. Uh, for the longest time, I thought that. Um, my wife and I are still learning this. We're four kids, just about ready to graduate our first, and we're still still learning. Maybe after the fourth one's uh, hitting his senior year, we'll start to figure this out a little bit. Jesus is always gracious. Jesus has a heart of mercy. Listen, parents, I know there are times when we need to raise our voice. I know there are times when we need to come down hard, when we need to make that hard and fast rule. We can't budge on it. I realize that. But remember grace. Remember how the Lord Jesus treats you and I. Remember that he moves towards us in love. Remember that on a daily basis, you and I do things that are sinful. We turn our back against him. We neglect things that he's called us to. We disobey explicit commands in scripture. We every day need to go to God and say, thank you that you don't treat me as my sins deserve. And we fall upon and cry out for the grace of God. Parents, let's remember how desperately we need our dad's grace And how desperately our kids need ours. Jesus was full of grace. He was also full of truth. Again, we're not pitting them one against another. Jesus was perfectly grace, perfectly truth. Truth is an important and a frequent word in John's writings. In all, it occurs about 24 times. This is the first reference. And in almost every case, including this one, it is related to the character of God. We find that the, 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 all of scriptures have so much to say about God being a God of truth. For instance, we read in Deuteronomy and Isaiah that God is truth. We're told that God desires truth in our inward part, Psalm 51.6. We're told that the Lord hates a lying tongue, Proverbs 6.17. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth in John 14, 15, and 16. He spoke the word of God as truth, John 17, 17. 
When we put these statements together, we find that the God, that God the Father is truth, that God the Son is truth, and that God the Holy Spirit is truth. And that everything that takes its nature from God is also characterized by truth. In other words, truth is of the character of God. We who are Christians must, therefore, for that very reason, take our stand upon truth. Jesus, as he came to this earth, embodied truth. And he always spoke the truth. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth is not popular in our culture. One of the most impactful and destructive concepts our culture has adopted in recent years is captured in the phrase, your truth. What is is your truth? You need to live your truth. Scripture never points to us or says to look inward for truth. Scripture always points us back to God, the God who is truth. This last year with the pandemic, truth has been assaulted even more so. I mean, how many of us have said, even in the last couple of weeks, I don't know what to believe about this thing? How many times have we said that? We question what we hear on the news and, and from friends at the coffee shop, that they'll, they'll state this stat or that supposed fact, and, and automatically we're like, eh, I don't know. We're being conditioned to question truth. And in some places, that, that's good, right? We're, it's good to ask questions. But when it comes to God's word, we come and, and we hear and believe the one who is truth and who speaks truth into our lives. Jesus always tells us the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. There was never a time that Jesus did not speak truth. I love the story in John chapter 8 where Jesus comes and rescues that woman caught in adultery from being stoned. And we see both these things brought together so well. Jesus looks around and says, whoever is without sin, you get to throw the first stone. And they slowly begin to walk away. And we see the grace of God. Yes, by the letter of the law, both she and the man who slept with her, yes, they deserve to be stoned by the letter of the law. But God's abundant grace, but God's abundant mercy rescued her. What did he say to her? Now go and sin no more. See, grace and truth are not opposed to one another. They they run parallel. And they did so perfectly in the life and ministry of Jesus. Just by way of application, I want to talk about, just for a couple minutes, what it looks like then for this to be a part of our homes. And there's a lot that we could say here, but I just wrote down a couple under, under each. First of all, living full of grace in our homes. What does it look like when our homes are full of grace, just like our, Jesus, our Lord Jesus, full of grace and truth? First one I wrote down is that we need to be a home of honest sinners. <laughs> be a home of honest sinners. Here's what I mean by that. God, God knows who we are. God knows. Let's, let's stop pretend that we don't mess up. Let's not pretend that we didn't just blow it with our kids and 
carry on like everything's normal. Be honest about our sinfulness. Let our kids see us being open and honest before the Lord. Let's be honest with God in our homes about our desperate need for His grace. You see, because if, if we're constantly justifying, if we're constantly hiding, if we're constantly, well, yeah, but if you guys hadn't done this, then, then Daddy wouldn't have gotten so mad. If we're constantly going that route, we're teaching our kids to justify. We're teaching our kids to hide. We're teaching our kids all about shame and, and that we, we hide our wrongdoings. We can only receive forgiveness from God when we're honest when, when we confess our sins, read Psalm 51 and David, the freedom that David found when he, when he finally just stopped hiding his sin with Bathsheba and was like, laid it out. He said, my bones were wasting away. We don't want to train our kids to have bones that waste away because we're hiding in the darkness. Let's create our homes to be placed where we're honest about our sin. And to follow up on that secondly, Let's be a homes that model repentance. May our children not be unfamiliar with the phrase, I was wrong, will you forgive me? That was sin against God and against you, against your mom, and I need forgiveness. May those words not sound strange in our homes. Let's model repentance. Thirdly, let's be homes that speak often of Jesus. While it is entirely possible to speak too much about religion, church activities, meetings, church stuff, it is not possible to speak too much of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Recount his goodness to you. Let your children hear about answered prayers. May it not be strange to hear the name of Jesus in our homes. May we pray to him together. May we sing to him together. May we recount his wondrous deeds. May we speak often of what he has done for us upon the cross. And then fourthly, may we be homes that are on the lookout for evidence of the grace of God. To celebrate ways in which our children are being transformed or are honoring God or loving God. Be on the lookout for the grace of God. In Acts, I don't know if I put it up there. I did. There's a great verse about Barnabas in, in Acts eleven twenty three. It says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I love that. Barnabas, his name means son, son of encouragement. So you know he was just one of those guys that could build people up. But he was on the lookout, and he noticed that God's grace had been evident among his people there. And so what did he do? He first of all rejoiced. He celebrated it. Let's celebrate when we see God's grace in the lives of our kids. And then he encouraged them. He encouraged them to remain faithful, to keep on. 
When the great painter Benjamin West was a young boy, he decided to draw a picture of his sister. He got out bottles of ink and succeeded in making an absolute mess. When his mother got home, she said, what a beautiful picture, and kissed him. Later on in life, he said, it was that kiss that made me a painter. You know, moms and dads, we, we can tear our kids down. We can make them wither with just a glance. We don't even need words. But God has called us to build up, to encourage, to nourish, to speak life, to bring grace into their lives, into our home, and then to recognize it and celebrate it. We also, alongside of that, want to be people who live full of truth in our homes. We want to live full of truth in our homes. So first of all, we, we want to be a home that loves the truth. We want to be, home, be a home that loves the truth. The Word of God must be central. We already read it with the parents there. Uh, it, God told Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. God's word, God's truth should be a part of the everyday comings and goings of our home. You've heard me share, and we, we do it with great imperfectness, the importance of having a time where we spend time in, in the Word as a family. But, but don't just rely on that formal time, whatever it is, reading and praying right before bed or whatever, but look for those times throughout the day to speak truth. When you get up, when you lay down, when you're caring about doing chores, Look for ways that demonstrate your love for the truth. But to follow up with that, secondly, be a home that tells the truth. Don't veil the truth from one another. Be willing to say the hard things to each other. Again, don't be a home that, that cultivates hiding and, and well, we, we just don't talk about such things. I've seen homes that have done that. I've seen families where we never talk about anything hard. We never, we never are willing to step forward and say, you know what, what you did was wrong there. Or what you did really hurt me there. But we don't speak the truth. Rather, we hide and, and things fester and things boil over. And there's all kinds of things we could say about that. Some of you experience that. Make a commitment to be a, be a place. Just, even if that's really hard for you, take baby steps. But make a commitment to have your home be a place where the truth is spoken. Not just the truth of Scripture, that's where it should start, but the truth about one another. Being willing to share your heart, your joys, your hurts. And then finally, be a home that spreads the truth. Let the truth reach beyond the walls and the cover of your home. May your neighbors, may your extended family, may the community know that your home is a place of truth. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he perfectly embodied both of these. He's, it says he was full of grace and truth. <laughs> I remember when I was growing up, if I, if I heard the phrase, Jeremiah, you're full of it. It wasn't a, necessarily a, a good phrase. But here, speaking of Jesus, 
He's full of that which is to be greatly desired. He is full of grace. There is never a time when Jesus is not gracious with you and with me. There is never a time when Jesus is not truth and does not speak the truth and does not herald and champion the truth. By His grace and through the power of His Holy Spirit, may we be people who are full of grace and truth. And may our homes be the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on this Mother's Day, when we, when we celebrate moms, we recognize that so much of the challenges that moms face, um, so many of the frustrations, so many of the, the fears and worries and uh, the, the highs and the lows, so many of that surrounds our kids. You've called us as parents to be those who speak truth and to live graciously in our homes. Lord, we want to specifically pray for moms today that you might encourage them in this. Lord, for those who are feeling like, I don't do a good job at this. Lord, may, may we be reminded that there's grace. There's grace for when we're not gracious. There's grace for when we don't speak the truth. Lord, nourish our hearts with the reminder that every day is a new day. Every day is a fresh time to start over. And while we've been thinking about homes and parents, Lord, we know that, that this passage here speaks to all of us, no matter where we are in life. Our Lord and Savior perfectly embodied, uh, embodied grace and truth. Lord, I pray that our lives, whether or not we have kids, whether or not our kids are at home anymore, that our lives would walk that balance of truth and grace. That others might notice and recognize that the life of Jesus is just pouring right out of us. We can't do this alone. We can't be the kind of homes that you want us to be without the power of your spirit in our lives. We thank you, God, for being gracious, for speaking to us the truth, for giving us the truth of your word. May we herald it in our homes. Now the God who has loved you with an everlasting love and has brought you into the bonds of an everlasting covenant, support you all the days with everlasting arms until the day when he places everlasting joy upon your heads. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you and happy...